If you want it, you can have it. But you gotta learn to reach out there and grab it. Hello and welcome to We Are Weezer episode 56. Today we're going to be talking about Surflex America and I am joined by Tom and Brent from Men and Whales. Hi guys. Hi Rachel. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Before we talk to the dudes, let me tell you about We Are Weezer. We're a podcast about Weezer and I'm your host, Rachel. And we have two kinds of episodes. We have a song review episode like today where my guest hosts and I scour the internet to find fun facts and details on your favorite Weezer songs. And then we give them to you in a lovely podcast. We rate them and review them using our special rating system. And we have perfect situations where we'll do Weezer news, interview a guest like we did last week with uh, Men in Wales. So be sure to listen to that. We'll tell you a story or the history behind a special Weezer landmark, which I like to call a Weeze mark. We'll do an album release party or whatever else we feel like doing. Before we get into song discussion, let's talk to Men in Wales a little bit. Tell us about yourselves and your band. So we are Men in Wales. Uh, we hail out of Queens, New York, and uh, we have been together uh, since 2008. And uh, we are an original alternative rock outfit, I guess you could say. We, uh, we are spiritual kin of Weezer. <laughs> <laughs> Is the goal to be fancy recording artists and play all over the world and be famous or just to make music and be happy or um, both? Well, <laughs> I'd say that was maybe part of the goal in 2008, but at this point, I think it's more just about making good music. And I think, I don't want to speak for Tom, but I think we're very fortunate to have, you know, our, our lives continue, but to be able to still do this music thing together, you know, even if it's just recording some albums for some people to hear, playing some shows, you know, I think we're just happy just just making music. Agreed. Yeah. Well, so tell us about your albums a little bit, and then we'll ask you about your your Weezer fan dumb. Okay. Well, uh, we have three full length albums and some EPs in between. Our most recent EP came out in 2016. It's self titled, and was produced by our good friend Sam Shaw, and uh, sort of kind of a good representation of the band where we're at now, but we're currently working on some new music. We're pretty excited. We're hoping to have something out later this year. So that'll kind of be a continuation, but um, check us out. You know, we're on Spotify or on Apple music, all streaming services. And you can also click on links through menandwales.com or go on YouTube and see some videos. There's a video of them covering the sweater song on their website. So that's a fun one to check out. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your, the cover. So I know that it is, it's like what you would see on, is it from TV or your computer from back in the day when you like, when nothing was on, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I think 
you pieced that together somehow, didn't you? Uh, how, did you how did you do that? I can't remember. Or that's what it reminds me of. Maybe it's something else. But I try to do this with everything, tie it back to Weezer. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh what if oh, it's yes. like all the different colors? Like, uh, oh, the, the, uh, and the like color bars. A, <laughs> yes. That's what you're referring to. Yes, yes. Yeah, didn't you oh. piece that together somehow? I did. I I sort of made it, but that was the idea was these kind of the thing that you see when either like something starts or ends. So is that from the computer or the, or the television? I, like which one? Cause I don't remember. You know, I, in order to make sure I didn't get any copyright trouble, I, I, made, <laughs> I made it on Photoshop. So I, I basically, you know, did it from scratch, but the idea was that, yes, it's, it's supposed to be something from like a TV or movie uh, my first degree is in film production, so the idea of kind of just seeing the color bars and getting everything, you know, the white balance set up and just kind of that visual, especially the VHS, you know, just kind of growing up with that and having that sort of being a dying art. And I don't know, that was just something that. No, it's cool. I mean, that's mind. immediately what I thought of. I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> that was the idea. But then I think there was like two albums that came out like a year or two after that kind of used the same yeah. idea. Was um, it Arctic Monkeys? Arctic Monkeys had a song title that was... Well, they had Arabella, which we yeah. have. But then I feel we, like, we they, had I feel like they might have done something similar to this like right after as well. So, oh, yeah. Are you know. guys going to go after uh, Arctic Monkeys? <laughs> we'll, we'll let you know. It's we'll keep you posted. Do it. <laughs> it's good company. We're all, it's all part of the, the stream. Hey, you're like, hey, man, if they want to search for Arctic Monkey songs and come <laughs> upon ours and listen to it, then that's cool too. <laughs> Absolutely. Right on. I like that. So no Weezer tie at all? No accidental Weezer reference or hidden Easter eggs or something? I don't know. In the album cover? or Yeah. yeah. We weren't, we weren't. I, I think if any Easter egg, it would just be in the music. Just listen to music. <laughs> <laughs> because if you turn on any of the, the tracks, you'll say, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, it, it definitely has a relationship as far as, you know, the sound and tone. I like your music. I liked watching you guys live. I think it's really fun and you have like a good energy and also you're very like technical and good musician so that's like you can see that in the videos too so i, Thanks, I highly recommend we'll that you guys it. go <laughs> check Thank that out yeah. yes and i also liked when i was watching the sweater song video in the beginning like brent does the i don't know if it's brian or if it's matt where he does kind of like the the random vocal in begin in the beginning and it makes you laugh. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, oh, that's so cute. You guys are I... so cute up there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and having like, a good time. Yeah. So that would be definitely check that out. <laughs> Have you guys been Weezer fans for a long time? I would say so, yeah. yeah. Um, ever since the Blue Album kind of came out. Um, OG. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think. For me, like, I remember, I remember seeing, so like Sweater and Buddy Holly came out first and I was like, this is cool. Uh, I was like 12. I just started playing guitar. I was into it. But then when I saw the Sating So video of them, like in the garage and just like that video and that song from that on, like the rest of that summer of 95, after that video came out, I was just listening to the Blue Album, like on repeat, basically on repeat until Pinkerton came out. So, yeah, so we've been fans since since way back. Huge, I completely agree. Fans. And it's funny you say that because the first two videos are the most probably famous, which was, I don't know if Sweater and Butt came out first and then Buddy Holly or vice versa, but... I think it was Sweater first. Okay, yeah. And then, and they were both directed by Spike Jones, but 
the third video, which is sort of underrated, Saying Ain't So, is them in just in the rehearsal space where they actually, I guess, live too? Their house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it was directed by this female director, Sophie Muller, who I think she directed Don't Speak and Blur's song too. Wow. She did a bunch of, if you ever yes. look her up, she did a bunch um, And also so, another Weezer song, it, the pizza delivery one. I oh, yeah. Good Life. Good Life. Good life. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. So she's, I really feel like what she captured was just like who Weezer actually were. You know, mm-hmm. it was just, that was, that's such a great video, Sadie. So, oh, so good video. video. They're like complete with Carl sack. getting the laundry yes, out of the. Yes. Was that, was that the first? Was Patrick the juice box at the Carl? end too? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It was just yeah. Great. You and it's just the juice box is classic. Yeah, I think. I mean, sure. it's something that you're just like, okay, like. I was like, oh, I, I want to hang out with these guys. So like they don't take themselves. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. they play hacky sack too. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, oh, you guys are so cool. You're playing yeah. the hack, like. <laughs> I mean, because that was so popular back then. I don't know about now, but like Hacky Sack was like really cool in the 90s. I don't know. I'm just saying. (laughs) I feel like too, like for us being on the East Coast, it definitely, it all felt like it had a bit of a California vibe, which is is funny because I was so dumb that in the beginning of the um, Buddy Holly video, when the, the dude who owns the restaurant, whatever his name is. Al? Al. Yeah. Al. When he says Kenosha, Wisconsin's own Weezer, like seriously for like eight months, I thought they were from Wisconsin. Cause I was just like, that, <laughs> that dumb. Is that true? Yeah. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> and then I saw Sadie, so I was like, hold on a second. I that's was like, great. people in Wisconsin play hacky And then, then I like, it, the internet wasn't around then for me to like immediately that's find these point. things out. That's so good, right. I had, I had to piece internet. together, you know? Free internet. Yeah, we had to oh, do the extra Oh, I was trying work. to think of, uh, speaking of that on the last show, I was trying to think of, where have I heard Astoria before? That's from Goonies, right? Like, isn't that where they live in Goonies? I, Is, it might be. And, uh, do they live in Astoria? Don't ask me. I'm not the movie guy here. I'm not sure. It's either that or Long Island, but you could be right. It's um, something over there, yeah, I believe. For sure. Good, good um, throwback to the Goonies. I like it. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic. You yeah. have to. Also with your kids, like it's that's never our, too early to watch we'll the Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I would love to do mm. a movie podcast, but I have to do my <laughs> research and see how many other millions and billions of movie podcasts there are out there. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. There's a lot. What podcast do you guys like? Do you listen to any? Or no? I do. Yeah. You go first, but. Yeah, I like, well, there's a really good music one called Song Exploder that Mm -hmm. talks about the songs. And then movie, there's one called Big Picture from the Ringer uh, podcast kind of group. Um, That's fun. And then, gosh, there's just, it's so eclectic. Yeah, I love love podcasts. I I listen to um, a lot of like, well, on a music standpoint, like Broken Record with Mm. Malcolm Gladwell. That's a great one. And uh, Bruce Hedlum, that's a great one for like music stories. Yeah. What's the NPR one? Uh, all, all, something about a song. I forget. What all songs considered. All songs considered. Yes, that's a good one. He's had on, um, you know, like George Martin's son Giles to talk about some of the remixes of the Beatles stuff, which is cool. But yeah, um, I, that I really one's like, done though, right? That was an NPR one. I think it's it's no longer running, but they had yeah. a million. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I don't listen to that one. I just like check back in the archives and every now and again, but um. I also like uh, Hidden Brain and uh, Freakonomics. Just some of those kind of economics and psychology ones are pretty cool too. So Hidden Brain, what's that one about? Is that about it's, money or no? It's kind of like 
psychology, behavior, like kind of thing, subtle, you know, things of why we do, why we act irrationally, why we do things and kind of weaving in and out interesting stories. And they go through research from sociology and stuff and psychology, which is cool. So it's an interesting one. So Shirley Manson has one called Jump, where she interviews musicians, which is fun. There's one called like discogs i want to say with two dudes and they talk about music that's good doug loves movies where it's doug benson and he has celebrity guests and they talk about movies and it's kind of like not necessarily rating or talking about a specific movie but uh they play games where he'll be like (laughs) i'm gonna say this word and then you tell me you know what movie it I'm I'm getting to. It's kind of like they play fun like little game shows where you can kind of play along <laughs> with it. That's which cool. is fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I tried to listen to his other one where he smokes weed and talks about I don't know if they talk about I don't rem- even remember what they were talking about, <laughs> but they just smoke weed the whole time and uh got bored of that. So when I heard that they had um <laughs> a movie one, I was like, Oh, that's cool. There you go. And, uh, but I've been listening to like all the Datelines recently. Oh yeah. I bet those are addictive. It's like they took all the Datelines from television and literally just put them on a podcast. Yeah. So it's, it's really fun if you were into Dateline or are into Dateline. And I would recommend, even though, even if you're not like super into meditation, 10% Happier with Dan Harris is a really good podcast because he, they have all kinds of topics about like science and stuff that I listened to this one recently where they talked about sleep. So he had like a sleep doctor on and like how important it really is for your mind and your brain and your immune system. And even like with the time change and everything, how it affects society in general. And uh, it was just really interesting. My brain like totally exploded when I listened to that that episode. Awesome. So I would check it out if you like sciencey psychology stuff too, because it's and he also brings in meditation, so you can kind of not listen to those ones if you're not into that. But <laughs> Pick uh, and choose. yes, which is the great, great the great thing about podcasts is that you can do that. So like if you're not. Into Surf Wax America, which I don't know who wouldn't be, uh, <laughs> then you wouldn't. You don't have to listen to this this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally true. I, I must say, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the original podcast that got me into podcasts is uh, the comedian Bill Burr, and ah. um, it is the funniest. Yeah. His Monday morning podcast, and he does one on Thursday too. But it's he usually doesn't have guests, and it's just him. Which you know, most podcasts are like the guest format, and just his just own monologue is just so hysterical that's me the moment i saw that then i was like oh my god there's a podcast for everything and that's how i kind of got down you know as you're talking about into specific things and it's just great how much there is out there what's his podcast like what's it called is it just called bill burr it's called the monday morning podcast okay i'll have um, to check it out he does it on mondays then he does a short one on thursday where he just checks in on you as he says the thursday afternoon monday morning (laughs) podcast. checking in on you he literally says that every time My podcast that got me into podcasts is Adam Carolla, for sure. Oh, I've heard a lot I about his. Yeah. Transitioned from uh, listening to K Rock to um, listening to like wanting Kevin and Bean on a podcast forum. This is before they had a podcast forum, and Adam came out with his own podcast and then turned it into a freaking empire. 
now. Yeah. But that's who got me into that because I could just at the time I can't anymore, but I could just listen to Adam Carolla talk all day about bullshit and I loved it, you know? So that's probably how, you know, you're Bill Burr. Who got you into podcasting, Tom? Uh, Shout out probably to my wife, Amy. Uh, She, um, you know, listens to a lot of uh, podcasts. She, she listens to a lot of like podcasts, um, like Mr. Money Mustache or like, you know, financial freedom Mm, going mm -hmm. by or even the minimalists. So she was kind of, you know, playing me those. And then I started kind of exploring myself and kind of just went a deep dive into different kind of areas. But yeah, it's like I said, it's so eclectic. There's just so much out there that you can listen to. Um, It's it's pretty great. Yeah, I agree. I love it. Shout out to all the, the podcasters out there. So sorry, I kind of went on a different tangent. Not at all. Uh, <laughs> That's what podcasts are all about, Rachel. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's crazy. Why did you guys pick surf wax? I can't wait to find out the answer okay. to this question. Well, I wanted to do sweater. So that's... <laughs> I knew that you were thinking about sweater. And so when I, you changed to surf wax, right. I was like, oh, okay. So this, this is a good kind of, uh, you know, allegory for being in a band here. So um, I wanted to do sweater. And then Brent responded by saying... Eh, that's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> and then you suggested a few, but was no one else was one of them? No one else, no other one. Smile on the Green Album. Right. Mm. And so then you said no to all those. Well, no, I didn't say no. <laughs> what happened was I, Brent was coming in from it from a different perspective because I, I'm thinking, oh, we perform Sweater. Let's look at the lyrics. Let's talk, you know. And Brent's thinking of it from a structurally. He's like, well, when we covered no one else, we could talk about how it was difficult to... And so I said, well, let's do Surf Wax America because that's a good compromise. And that's sort of what it's like being in a band is that you kind of find the middle ground because we both love that song, uh, you know, first and foremost. So yeah, absolutely. Let's go Surf Wax. And you played it live and Mm -hmm. you did deep dive research on it, which I love because I don't like to, you know, I for sure tell people they don't have to do any kind of work to be on the show because I don't want to make you feel like, you know, you're a guest. You don't have to do anything. You just show up and let's have fun. But I am pleasantly surprised whenever people actually do do research and I love it um, because for me, that's part of the fun too, is finding out something new. So I'm excited to to do this. Are you guys ready? You want to take a break and, and do some song discussion? Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. A bottle of beer. The wave is coming, but I ain't got no fear. I'm waxing down to that Algoria pass. I'm waxing down because it's really a blast. I'm going to because I don't like it. We are back. Let's talk about Surfwax America with Men and Whales. So it's off of the Blue Album. It's track number six. So it's kind of right in the middle. And it's followed by Say It Ain't So. And it's after Sweater. Is it? Yep. 
Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's what I thought. Released May 10th, 94, recorded August and September 93 at Electric Lady Studios in New York. Shout out to Electric Lady. Check out that perfect situations that I have. It is three minutes and six seconds long. It is your typical Weezer three minute song. It's like a perfect the label. Length. Yes. Yeah. The label is Geffen. It's officially released. Uh, I didn't find out when the live debut was, but I can. And no Rivers Cuomo song chronology, but on the Weezer singles chronology, it is number 131. Why don't you guys tell us who the personnel is for this guy? Okay, so I'll get started here. It's uh, written by uh, Rivers and Pat. It was produced by the late, great Rico Kasich, and it was engineered and mixed by Chris Shaw. And you've got Rivers Cuomo on the guitars and lead vocals, of course. Pat Wilson playing drums and uncredited backing vocals. Brian Bell backing vocals and is also credited with rhythm guitars, though there are some mixed, conflicting stories out there over whether he actually played on that. Hmm. And of course, you've got Matt Sharp on the bass and the backing vocals as well. So can we rewind for a second? Because it says written by Rivers Cuomo and Pat Wilson now. You, you heard there's a story that Jason Cropper might have some writing credit. Well, the interesting thing is, yeah, if you, if so, back a couple of years ago when Jason Cropper joined Rivers at his acoustic show in San Francisco, I think it was, which is on mm-hmm. YouTube, they did a couple songs together. And at the intro of Surfwax, he says something to the effect of, here's another riff on the Blue Album that this guy's responsible for. And I feel like he's obviously credited as the co writer of My Name is Jonas. And if you kind of think about those two guitar intros, they're actually very much in a similar vein. Yeah. But everything you hear out there is just that Pat Wilson kind of had the song and then, you know, Rivers obviously helped take it to completion. So interested, interested to know whether, you know, like how that sort of came about and, and if he contributed that riff, at what point did it kind of come in? And, you know, he doesn't have a co-write on it, That's but it seems like Jason Cropper might have had something to do with it. Well, and if you think about it, we were we were talking about this too at the time and according to Jason's own stories they were writing all of these songs together and living together and I remember him saying like I was like learning how to write songs with Rivers and Pat and they were like jamming together so it would make sense that Jason was probably there for the jamming or the figuring out of this song yeah and It was just kind of a weird time back then with probably documentation. So like if people are missing credits, it was probably just a mistake. And if Jason didn't get credit, it was probably because of the weirdness going on at the time that maybe they wanted to throw Brian a bone, you know, because I think Rivers like actually legit did guitar on everything. So I'm not sure if, you know, Brian deserves the credit for this one, but he's on there. So maybe they were just like, hey, we like you. Come be on our album. I'll put your name on here. <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. And we'll talk about, so So the song appears on their actual, their third demo. So it's track number five. It's on the Buddy Holly UK retail CD, track number three. The Dutch retail CD live, it's track number two. Um, the deluxe album, uh, the deluxe edition of the blue album, um, it's number six on disc two, and that's also the live version. And I didn't know this, but it's on 
a Japan Deluxe Edition bonus DVD. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah. There's a live video of the Red Album where they play it and a bunch of other official bootlegs. And I know you guys listened to these versions in preparation. So what are the differences that you can, that you can tell? Well, the f- first and foremost, on the real demo, which was 92? 92, yeah. Okay. The version on the real demo has a slightly different bridge than the finished version on the blue album. So, yeah, it, does, it doesn't have the, the vocal harmony breakdown the mm. way that we all know it does in the final version. It actually so it's has... it's just kind of boring. No, it's actually cool. It's just totally it's just different. different. Um, yeah. ah. The guitar octaves that they start to play over the chorus from the middle of the song on, um, they basically take that and kind of put put that to the forefront and slow the song down to like halftime. It's almost got like, so all that said to me, it has like a My Chemical Romance kind of feel to it where you've got like these big guitar octaves. It's it's really halftime and they're just like, it's. I think it's cool. It's really cool, but clearly much different from the direction they ended up going with, with the bridge. With the which now is, Which is now such a noteworthy part of the song and yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the part and we, everyone remembers. We, so. we covered it and we mentioned it in the previous podcast, but when we initially covered it, we found it really hard to do that breakdown harmony part. And then when we did it again, we used our drummer who has a really uh, strong voice and he can get pretty falsetto. And what we had him do was when it came to the breakdown part, he dropped the drumsticks and then ran up to the microphone and then we all did a <laughs> harmony together and then quickly ran back and then rocked out with the drums. So it was just Oh, that's really awesome because technically we you don't need him it. there, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it was um it it was fun. But that's I mean and, and I feel like if you watch the videos even of Weezer performing it, like they always kinda look at each other and laugh a bit when that part comes up. Because it's I mean, it's a very exposed part and you know, you're doing these crazy harmonies, there's falsetto in there, like, you know. I can't imagine doing that in front of thousands of thousands of people and feeling yeah. like totally, you know, cool. Vulnerable. Like, yeah, Because exactly. like now, like, here we go. We're going to get high on your ass. Like, you take, you know, it's yeah, like. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Um, it's but a, it is like, I wonder how like they even like came up with that and like why it, it sounds like why it is so cool, you know, even though it's like not, it does totally add to the song and it's something you look forward to when they're playing it live or when you're listening to it you're like this is great because you know what's coming after it you know yeah for sure yeah the sequencing for sure um sandwiched in between sweater and sadie and so it's incredible Mm -hmm. and that's it's like i think that's like a good example of why like weezer stood out so much to me is like think of like okay so that was what 1994 when that album came out like who was doing anything even remotely close to that? Like, that's right? just so cool and so well, out of it, what was going on. Forest from the Trees, too. I, I looked up a list of albums that came out in 1994. And just to give you kind of an idea of what was happening, you know, you had Green Day's Dookie, you had Soundgarden Super Unknown, Pearl Jam Vitology, Nirvana Unplugged, Oasis Definitely Maybe, Pavement, Crooked Rain. I, I could go on and on with so many amazing albums and then you have Weezer you know the blue album and I begin to think you know is it is the blue album the best album that came out in 1994 because you know there's so many good albums that came out but there's something about the blue album that just resonates 
Um, I, yeah, incredible. for me, like just listening to that list, they do stick out. They stick out. Absolutely, I would yeah. say them and Oasis probably stick out for me of like, you know, definitely impacted my musical interests going forward. Yeah. Like they changed music. They were like a huge deal. And they and it is because they were a little bit different. But all of those people, right? Like Soundgarden. I mean Yeah, it was just yeah. some really good soundtrack at the time. <laughs> I mean, you started to, that's when you started to have that transition kind of away. So like obviously everything transitioned to Nirvana and the grunge thing. This was kind of like the start of moving on to a new kind of era of music. Uh, would you say, I mean, could you say that Weezer like created a different route for music? Uh, I don't know if they created What a do they call route. it? I think they call it like pump, punk pop or uh, even emo. emo. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think if anything, what differentiated them was that it was, I, I guess the word would be sunny. It was, it was much yeah. more kind of, um, you know. Brian Wilson had made an alternative rock album. Like, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of just a little bit different from the pessimistic, you know, I, I don't know. If that's that's, that's, I don't yeah. know, but because uh, yeah. I'm thinking of that time too. And there was like, we had pop, we had like, you know, well, you Britney know what it was? and I think we I had a uh... generation X has kind of had that cynical attitude. Um, just, there was just something about, you know, this idea of just, and that sort of actually plays into the song of the lyrics of the song of just kind of this F you to conformity. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go surfing. And that, that sort of was in the air at the time. And the way the Blue Album kind of presents itself is just this kind of much more like a half full attitude. You know what I mean? Um, just very, you know, I mean, sure, there's, there's some like tender moments and some sincere moments, but like just overall, that's... It's angsty. You know, yeah. And there's like a level of optimism in the music, which even though lyrically there are some dark themes in there, and we talked about Sadie and So, potentially Surf Wax as well, just on the surface, it sounds a lot more optimistic than some of these other albums. And, and if you think, when I was talking about the transition, if you think about what came after this 95, 96, then you start getting like Hootie the Blowfish, Dave Matthews, you know, like those things are definitely much more on the brighter side of outlook than things like Soundgarden or Pearl Jam or Nirvana. Yeah, it so, was almost like we don't want to be like depressed all the time. Yeah, uh, either as, you know <laughs> exactly. Like, and not to say that Weezer was like responsible for that, but that they certainly were part more on that side of things than on the side of like some of the real grunge bands that were kind of a bit, you know, heavier and yeah, a bit, dark, a bit darker. Well, yeah. and maybe more focused on the musicality of everything. And I was going to agree with you on on it sounding hopeful. Because if you just look at like the Blue Album as a whole, it's like, you know, even though he is talking about something like only in dreams, he's like, hopefully he's going to find somebody or this song where it's like F you, but like upbeat, like we're going surfing. Yay. (laughs) You know, Um, and I think part of it or some of this song is a little bit like romanticizing California, which he likes to do with the Beach Boys. And Los Angeles in general, coming from, you know, New York and everywhere that they came from and coming to Los Angeles with that fame and fortune to get Indiana Jones on you, like we're going to 
go be famous musicians on the Hollywood strip and we're going to go surfing and it's going to be great and just kind of all like encapsulated into one thing and like, like F you mom and dad, we're going surfing. Like, I don't know. They were working at a restaurant at the time. So they were probably like daydreaming too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, to a certain extent, well, I probably had that attitude of just like, you know, you know, you don't want to get that desk job and be unhappy and like you want to kind of uh, break away from that, you know, future, if you will. You, you, the idea of kind of the fantasy of just going surfing and it's, uh, I don't know. Something about not having to think about what's like being an adult. What do they call it? Right. Adulting. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's exactly. hard. You know? uh, yeah. And just, you know, especially when it gets to that melody part, you can kind of think about yourself on the surfboard in the waves <laughs> um, when they're like, you take your car and you're like, I'm just going to sit on my board and like, I'll, I'll surf to work and it'll be chill. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we'll, we'll go back to like the, the overview and stuff. Thank you, Weezerpedia. So I guess it was the music, they say it was recorded by Pat or written by Pat and recorded to a four track, which I don't know what that is. And tell us the 2019 Billboard interview quote that Pat said. Sure. Um, He said that that was another song that I had uh, the most uh, of on a four track. Basically, a four track, Rachel, is just where you only have four separate tracks to record the music. So you might do like a guitar on one track vocals. It's just kind of a way to make demos. So it sounds like he was doing some demos in the four track. He said, another desperately needed up-tempo number. Rivers especially really loved the Beach Boys and I think he tapped into that vibe a little bit, but in a more punk rocky way. I don't believe any of us had ever surfed up at that point. (laughs) We were painfully lacking in self-awareness. It's a younger person's take on the world, saying this is all bullshit. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. I think it's a rejection of the path chosen for you. Cool. I think the note was in reference to the fact that um, we were mentioning Jason Cropper might have had um, some hand in the, the songwriting. Because here, according to yes. Wikipedia, it says that it started out on Pat Wilson's four track. He brought the demo probably to, to Rivers and it went from there. But we wonder if somewhere in between, Jason had some kind of, you know, hand Yeah, because I definitely remembered Jason actually saying something to that effect to me when we talked about him playing with Rivers and that whole experience that they had together. He did play that song too. And I think Rivers said it on stage that he had something to do yeah. with this song. Yeah, I mean, I think you could you could maybe see a scenario where like maybe the song existed from past starting point without like an intro and he just basically had the chords for the rest of the song and then they started working on it and it's like oh i could i start playing this cool thing over and they added on you know I, I could certainly see you know that that potentially maybe that's kind of along the lines how it went i'm not sure yeah. speculation yeah. it's a mystery <laughs> and we also had a note to talk about the interesting rivers cuomo quote which uh river said that Surf Wax was a total sarcastic call to hedonism, to sing along, drink, and be merry. And that uh, he said, I hate drinking and only do so when I absolutely have to, which we were wondering, like, does he really hate drinking now? 
or was this just at the time? I don't, I didn't well, make this, a note as to when this interview took place, but. Yeah, this is where, you know, you, you have to wonder one of two things, either, you know, he really didn't genuinely like drinking or Brent, you had said you heard a story where he was drinking too much maybe, and that it kind of leaked into the lyrics or. Cause even in, yeah, even in Say It Ain't So, um, he references like drinking and I know that was from his stepdad, right? Well, but then we talked about Bottle Stevens awakening ancient feelings. Stevens was a step It's a call back yeah. to Yeah, which again, you talk about like being a stupid twelve year old hearing these songs. I was convinced that like Stevens was some sort of like, I thought, alcohol that I, I didn't thought know. the same thing. I thought Stevens was like a Jack Daniel. Like, where do I go if they call Bottle yeah, Stevens? Yeah. And then like not knowing <laughs> that it was referencing a person much later. That read River's Edge, I think. Yeah. And I was yes, like, I was like, River's Edge. Good God, this is like Did your brain explode? You're like uh, what? Just, it was kind of like, uh, kind of an aha, like, oh, what a what a silly thought, you like, know, duh. just just so naive, but right? I think like with that in mind and the sequencing and the fact that that song comes next, I know that there's a school of thought out there that you know potentially because there's multiple references to alcohol in Surf Wax. He talks about foaming like a bottle of beer, then later he talks about thousand pound keg. I think, um, yeah, you got to think if what Rivers talks about in Sadie So was his upbringing and, and alcoholism was an issue. It's not out of the realm of possibility that that thread has found its way, not only through his life and his, his own situations, but potentially the song preceding on the album, it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe that's referencing that to some degree as well. It's, it could be um, too. Well, also they're kids uh, writing this music, yeah. right? So of yeah. course they're partying and all their friends are partying and they're like living in like a one bedroom apartment with four people and partying. So it's I like get, on your mind when you're young too, right? Like I think so. I think there is probably a combination of that. Maybe some of it being subconscious, as you had mentioned, you know, just from his upbringing. But also if, if we were to take Rivers at his word where like maybe, you know, at the party, he maybe was holding the beer, but like just felt awkward about it just because that wasn't his thing. And he was still trying to find himself because I got the, the, the impression from Rivers kind of earlier you know, in his life, in his career, he was still kind of searching um, from who, like who he was. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes sense because I, and I go with me here. I, I found this quote from um, an article uh, that was written um, in Rolling Stone. I think it was last year. It was like the 25th anniversary of the Blue Album. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, from an article entitled The Strange Birth and Near Death of Weezer by Brian Hyatt. And there's a, just a couple instances where they talk about how Rivers Cuomo was deeply influenced by Nirvana when they broke. And, you know, he wasn't really listening to that music, but it says that, you know, he became a serious Beatles and Beach Boys fan, but then when he heard Nirvana, he thought, like, this is something I could do. It it says, and I quote, but a much newer band was his greater influence, Nirvana's Bleach and the 1990 single Sliver, with its sugary melody combined with uncharacteristic for rock lyrics, Grandma Take Me Home, were transformative. And then it also says that Cuomo took continual influence from Nirvana. The In Bloom video, where Kurt Cobain wears thick glasses, helped Cuomo feel comfortable in his own, according to the founding guitarist, Jason Cropper. So this idea of kind of hiding. And then I thought, like, one of his favorite bands, I think, was Kiss as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he kind of hid that. Oh. So the idea of kind of Kiss, and Kiss is like this band that, you know, they put on the makeup and they become these almost like rock superheroes. So you know, the song itself is almost it, lyrically, 
this person that is going surfing and doing all these things. And yet here, the reality is they didn't go surfing or he didn't even like to drink beer. So you wonder if this was his attempt at kind of playing that role of like, you know, someone he thought he should be, you yes. know, this kind of really cool surfer or this person that like is the life of the party. And, you know, in reality, he was the complete opposite. And, you know, that he was just very insecure and uncertain. And, you know, that wasn't his vibe at all. So just kind of something that, that chew on. seems to be a theme that continues through a lot of his work, right? Like I think he always seems to be kind of uncomfortable with who he is and that struggle between being who he thinks he's supposed to be or who people want him to be. And it comes out a lot. And yeah, you're so right. I never really thought about the song that way, but. Yeah. And I think, I think that happens to a lot of artists, right? Like, it's like you get like totally freaked out about yourself and like, should I be who I am? Will people like me if I am, or should I like, I should be this cool guy that like, doesn't care. Yeah. And I love Kiss. I, you know, and they, they're not, they're not who they are. They go out there and they're freaking, they're crazy, <laughs> crazy guys with their outfits and they're jamming and then they go home and they are normal. So he, Rivers is probably playing with that for sure. And that I, makes a lot of sense. May I go a little further, Rachel? Like, can I skip ahead to this, Please, some of the take deep us. dive? I know it, because just with that theme in mind, um, the bridge too, particularly that I noticed where he's saying all along the undertow, it's strengthening its hold. I never thought I'd come to this. Now I can never go home. That's a really dark lyric. And it's not something you think about at all when you think of the song. I think of this as like one of the happiest songs in the record. But, and it, for the most part it is. But mm-hmm. there's something subconscious in the, the bridge where suddenly it, it's as if like Rivers is getting pulled the other way, where something dark is happening underneath. And, you know, this idea of kind of where, you know, the surfer and the idea of an undertow, I, I actually looked up the definition because I'm a big nerd, but just obviously <laughs> it's the current of water that pulls somebody, you know, uh, we're, we're, you know, the yin yang, while, while a wave is, you know, gushing out, you have the undertow pulling you in. The, the second definition uh, of it is an implicit quality, emotion, or influence underlying the superficial aspects of something and leaving a particular impression. So there's wow. something, I think, happening that, you know, inside. And you could also make the argument that this is something that would eventually lead to Pinkerton, that there was a darker side to him that would come out kind of in full force in the next record. That is really cool. And I would never have even thought about that second meaning. But it's kind of like... I, I feel like he is saying He's I'm for not. Air, I think you know to a yeah. certain extent. He is. I, I think he is trying his best to be that person, but at the same time, I don't know if that's him. And I think he is kind of getting pulled from that undertow. And it says now I can never go home. I mean, they're they're going to be big, and that's not something I think he was prepared for at all. So you know, it's. I think I don't know if he knew what he was writing, but I do think that was probably subconscious. Yeah, and that's really interesting. And the way that where it is in the song and how they sing it too. It's like the somber part. Yes. And you kind of forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I read online that when they initially would play it live, that a lot of people thought the song ended. Like it just stopped and people would just clap that it was over. And then they had the breakdown. And then we had mentioned that it became the You staple. do take a long pause right there. Like I can they, see oh, yes. how if you didn't know the music, you would be like, Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> it uh, does come on, come back slowly. Like it's very slow and quiet after a long, 
I don't know how many counts is that. You guys should know this. <laughs> like a like four. a five what? count yeah. is that long for music? I don't know. <laughs> should you ask know, the drummer. The the thing that's interesting about that, you're right, you're right. It's a very dark line, especially just the idea of saying I never thought it'd come to this. Like that's just very. That's a dire like, situation. Like, what does it come to? Like, yeah. we're going to die? Like, uh, what um, is that? I don't that? know if, it's, if he's just kind of realizing that, like, you know, he is entering adulthood or he's going to. And, you know, or, you know, he's, you know, you, you could say that for anybody. You could say that anybody that is taking the next step that might, you know, be finished with college. Like, think of the movie The Graduate, where it's just like, <laughs> you know, what do I do now? Like, where do I go? And, you know, or like the, the idea of, is this it? You know, like I, 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 and then of course, his real life where he was be, going to become this rock star, and you know everybody would be looking at him. And if you look at interviews of him from that time period, he couldn't even look at the eyes of the people. He was very insecure. So you know, I think there's a lot of happening probably in his head. The thing too that's kind of crazy about that is we were just talking before about the demo version, mm-hmm. which doesn't have the breakdown. So theoretically at that point of the song's life those lyrics weren't a part of it because that's the only time they happen right is during the breakdown yes interesting so so maybe they put that in when they were recording and if they did just the breakdown well the bridge does start out fast right and then it stops it starts out all along the undertow and then they have the breakdown it's yeah but in the demo version oh yeah okay it wasn't there yes you're right you're right yeah so that would bolster your claim that potentially yeah. he wrote that later on when they were starting to see the success comedies uh, in that situation. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And that like they did know and that would make more sense to have that line in there or that always, lyric in there. And I made the comparison earlier, but I always kind of imagined Rivers Cuomo to be kind of our generation's Brian Wilson to a certain extent where, and I, I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but, you know, just emotionally where they can just kind of write these beautiful pop songs and maybe, you know, just both being from California or, or having kind of that vibe, um, but also kind of having this darker side where, you know, there is kind of a, a, a bittersweetness to it or a sadness inside. Because I do think that happens in, in a lot of Weezer songs, you know, like the sweater song, you, you first hear it and you think it's sort of a joke, you know, <laughs> you, yeah. you think, oh, this is just like a, someone's being ironic. I think that's, that's the idea. It's like, this is just kind of a, a silly, but the truth is it's not ironic at all. He's, he's being absolutely direct, you know? And, um, that, that's something that really kind of makes Rivers and Weezer special. Sorry, just one edit. I think you're right. I, I think maybe that part wasn't a demo. Okay. I think I was wrong. It's all right. So... Rivers is psychic. It's a thing. <laughs> I, yeah, it's I I can't explain it. And I think he's very much underrated despite their popularity, his songwriting ability and like the way that he's able to emote certain emote like certain songs. He just is able to get his feelings out there and you feel it. And that's not like common at all, especially these days. So, you know, I'm hoping for like some more of that. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. And I know everyone knows what I'm talking about, but it's like, you just kind of like, and even in this song, you feel it. You feel like he's something, you feel the energy, you know? 
Yeah. And maybe a little bit of anger. I don't know. The, well, the thing, the thing though, that's like so cool about it too. And so what's so like talented from him is some of those lyrics that surround this potentially very like serious part are so like goofy, as you were saying about the mm-hmm. song. Like he jokes about rap, like the metal band. He says rats running round and round, <laughs> which I think is a reference to their song Round and Round, which is a hair metal band. And oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I picked up on that. I didn't and know that. That's and, so um, cool. You just you just told everybody something cool that we've never right. heard before. <laughs> I was wrong in the last one. This you might he was just, a big metal guy. He was huge into metal because um, what, the first oh, yeah. Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. They said he used to go on roller skates up and down the strip. That's, That's right. Me. Yeah. Um I hope you have a fact checker because I'm gonna put them to work with this episode because I think I've said <laughs> that would be me. wrong. <laughs> um, well, you know, but then the other thing, like those of any of my stuff is true either. The play to the beach boys when he says my buddies and my honeys all come along, like that's such a Oh yes, gotta absolutely. Be. So like you've got those things which are such like fun, like just jokey things to throw in there, and these potentially also like underlying this is something really serious and you know it has a lot more meaning to it. And circling back, you know, a lot of the darker stuff is in disguise, much like you know, kiss or hiding behind the glasses. Like it's an easy way to disguise it, but it's there. Well, and Weezer does that a lot too. Like they'll play an upbeat melody to some intense lyrics to make it a little bit easier to take yeah it becomes or much more palatable you know if it's if it's upbeat and, and sunny and then you're singing about you know you're, you're mm-hmm. tired of having sex or something you know it's like you stop and think about it and you think oh this is really this is really twisted you know yeah but that's like a happy upbeat song so you're sure. like woo. yeah yeah it's and it's interesting so sometimes they will take it to take you to that place like you know butterfly where it's like legit sad and sad but sometimes like this like he'll have some crazy lyrics and like the music is just totally different yeah i'm trying to think of other uh, like like more recent songs that they do that where they kind of have something in disguise you mean or... uh-huh oh boy yeah i'm just thinking even something like california kids like from the white album no i know that was initially just California, that was Rivers and Scott. Scott yeah. yeah, but just it's it's a it's a real it's a it is upbeat, but at the same time, it could be very emotional. Just you know, um, some of the things he's singing about, and you know, it's yeah, he's he's got a knack for it. Yeah, he's he's pretty awesome. Let's check back in on the notes. Uh, I guess it's been a it's a a go to closer. Uh, when they were on the Blue Album and Pinkerton tours, they closed with the song a lot. And it's a great closer. I it mean, is. Great, great closer. That'd be an amazing great closer. I wish I wish I had that closer. That'd be awesome. And there's a fun <laughs> there's a fun part where somebody is yelling "smoke dope" uh, during the breakdown section. So during a live version of it, and so now whenever you hear it, ah, so that's how it went viral. So it's just, yes. Okay, it makes sense. Like it just it just happened and it's on the version. So now you have to say it when you hear it live. It's a yes. thing. I have been there and heard it with my own ears. Uh, <laughs> have, have you, you said, guys? Have you said it yourself? Uh, I don't know. I know I've done like a weird woo in, <laughs> during that part. Like I've been like, woo! Because uh, I know it's quiet and I know I'm going to like hear myself. Excellent um, right there. But I don't know that I've ever done the smoke dope because I think somebody always like beats me to it. You know, <laughs> like I'm sure there's people out there who just like literally can't wait to oh, I bet. to say yeah. it when it's 
happening. Like, I'm going to do it. I don't know. Have you guys ever heard that live or done it too? Or I've heard it live twice and I don't recall hearing that, but I also wasn't listening for it per se. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've seen the show. I think the first time I saw them was um, September of 2001. So the Green Album Tour. How was that? You know, here's the thing, right? It was unbelievable because it was the first time I had ever seen them and I've been a fan for you know over five years. So it's just amazing to see them live. Um, I think at that time, putting them into an amphitheater, it was a bit of a disconnect. Like they hadn't yet, I think, gotten to that point where they could captivate a, a large venue like that the way that they can now. That's a tough mm-hmm. venue too for like an And it's what, yeah, it was at Jones Beach Amphitheater in Long yeah. Island, which is notoriously, for anyone who's seen a show there, it's kind of a weird, it's like on the water, but it's kind yeah, of, the sound place. goes all over the place. Yeah. The vibe is a bit weird. It was really windy and cold when we were there too. Um, but I feel like at that time, you know, it was kind of just, I struggled a bit to connect. Like I felt like I was connecting with with Rivers. It was more like I was there to see them play and it was cool and it was great and the songs were good and they played Only in Dreams. But then when they, I saw them on the Memories Tour when they did the full Blue Album show, which I think you were with I was me. at the Pinkerton. At Pinkerton, yeah. yeah. So seeing it there was That was awesome incredible. Too. Oh boy. Did you get to catch any of the Memories Tour when they did I the did. albums? I did. I had to see the Blue Album because, I mean, I wish I would have been able to go to both, but they made you choose, right? So I chose Blue and I could not talk afterwards. (laughs) Like, I remember that it was like the first, I want to say it was like the first or second concert that I went to with my husband and I was screaming, scream singing the entire time (laughs) to all the songs. I died and afterwards, I was just like on a high for like a week, probably. Like I just was, I just loved it. Yeah. It was amazing. I can imagine if I had gone to see Pinkerton, it would be about the same. Like you just want to. Yeah, it was amazing. It's just one of those things where you never, you've listened to these songs like by yourself or with friends, but I'm sure, you know, we've all listened to these songs alone over and over so many times. You just never thought you'd get to hear certain ones live to get yeah. to hear the entire thing. And and I, I seem to recall, like, the way Rivers approached it was very much, like, pressing play on a CD. He wasn't talking in between songs. He wasn't engaging the no. crowd. They just went straight through, and you're just yeah. like, this is a masterpiece that I'm witnessing, like, start to finish live. Like, this is just, it, yeah. I, I, I guess now I understand why people follow jam bands around. Like, I guess they play different songs, but if I could have, I would have just, like, <laughs> ditched work and just followed them on that tour and saw that same show every night because it was that good, you know? Yeah. I think they should do it again. I agree. People would freak out. And there's some song, like there's the White Album, which they they toured, but they didn't play like that many White Album songs. I would like to see, I would see that entire album. Like I would be down for that. I know everything will be all right fans would like that too. Oh yeah, definitely. I think a lot of, like a lot of times they tour too, they kind of lay off a lot of the new material. They kind of stick. Well, you know, you know what the problem is, right? So, and I think, I think, Rachel, you actually talked about this on the last episode of the podcast about, so they play the hits, obviously, which yeah. you got to give them credit for because, you know, at the end of the day, we all also still want to see the hits too. Yes. And some bands after that long of a period of time will just stop playing certain ones. So you got to give them credit. But yeah. what I what I feel like happens is they because they're still releasing albums, once that White Album tour is over, then you're only going to get one White Album song in perpetuity going forward. And they're going to play like three or four from whatever the new thing is. Mm-hmm. And so you always get like, you, you'll get like one song from Red, one song from White Album, 
which then is tough because then you don't get the variation of hearing those like deeper cuts on those albums that you really want to hear. You know, so I think that's that's kind of the catch twenty two of because they keep putting new material out. It's kind of those ones in the middle that aren't the hits. You kind of don't really hear the deep cuts anymore. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's, this comes up all the time with, with fans is it's like, we wish that they would have like a voting system where like the people that are going to the concert can choose what they want to hear and vote on it. Like I think Pearl Jam did that at one point or something. Oh, wow. And that's cool. I, I would be down for that. But that's also like an extra added work thing that somebody has to like keep track of and do and put out and you know, it's, it's not as easy as just being like, okay, what's our top 10 on Spotify? Let's play that. (laughs) And then whatever else like covers we feel like playing today. And what are we in the mood for? You know, because that's all they have time for. So it's just like, at this point, they have so much content. It would be like, even if they played all the deep cuts, they would still not have enough time. They'd have to be up there for three hours. (laughs) And that's that's why I regret like not going on any of the cruises that they did because yeah. I'm not sure if you had the chance to go, but seeing what songs they played, they played like Devotion live, they played Suzanne, like seeing those songs that you're never going to see probably outside of that. Yeah, that was a big miss. I wish I would have gone to that. There ha- has been talks. I don't know if you guys are nerdy enough to be in the Weezer fan club, but if not, I highly recommend if at the very least it's, I don't know how much it is, like 40 bucks a year. But you get the fan club single and you also get to be in the Facebook group where they do giveaways every month of like cool rare stuff from Carl's corner closet, (laughs) his trove. So that's cool. And also they do pre-sale like meet and greets for the fan club people. And so I have seen and taken a like a survey of what I would want to do if there was a cruise again. So they're thinking about it. Like mm. it's happening. That's awesome. Yeah. I just don't know if it's going to be a cruise or if it's going to be like camping with Weezer or, you know, how it's going to come to fruition. But I do know <laughs> that they're open to planning something. So we'll all, we'll see each other there. Yeah. Sure. Sounds good. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. So join the fan club just so you'll know about that in advance. Cause I guarantee the freaks are going to sell that sucker out. It's, <laughs> it's going to like be hard to get. And I don't know. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> what other cool, deep cut, interesting, fun stuff did you find there, Tom? Uh, I'm just looking. I mean, first of all, the lyrics itself. Mm-hmm. I love that opening line, the sea is foaming like a bottle of beer. Just such a great visual opener. I mean, that that could be the best opening line, of, you know, on of like, you know, all the songs in the album, just trying to think, uh, although what's with these homies, sis and my girls, it's pretty, yeah, <laughs> that is a pretty wild opener too. Do you have something to tell us that that's actually um, no, yeah. too? It's like, well, by homies, yes. what he really meant was, when like, was in an alley and he was jumped. <laughs> He said, Whoa. Uh, yes. back to the nineties with that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. weird. I don't know. He is just so funny. Like he was able to be nerdy in a funny way to where it's okay. You know, he was kind of like making fun of the times and being normal at the same time. Cause I, 
I used to, we all said homies. Like, where are your homies at? That was just like a term that it's we just, used. No, nobody like would do that in like a rock song. Music. Yeah. In other words, like you would never hear Kurt Cobain be silly like that. You know what I mean? No. And, and so to hear somebody, I don't even think I knew what he was saying until a little bit later. You know, that's I, the thing. It went way over. I didn't yeah, it was just, it a second thought. but it's just so goofy and ridiculous where it was just like, it almost is like an icebreaker to the listener. Like, oh, this band is like funny. And like, I don't have to like, I don't have to go in there. You know, it's like when you go to a movie and this is like a, a very weird comparison, but like, if you're going to go <laughs> see an Adam Sandler film, you're not going to go, you're not going to go to an Adam Sandler film thinking like, oh, like I really have to sit down and like, this is very pretentious. And you know, this is it. Unless it's okay. 50 first, unless it's 50 first yeah. <laughs> That was, that got you know, me. it's not like, no, listen, I love Adam Sandler. That's my point is that, you know, Weezer is, is really, it's, there's no pretension or pretentiousness there. Um, they are just kind of having fun, but at the same time, you know, it is incredible. It is really good, you know? And, um, you know, Sandler made Uncut Gems, which is a really good movie. So I mean, he has, I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent, but for sure. Wait, what was it? He made a movie called Uncut Gems? Yeah, yeah. It uh, came out this past year and, it, you know, it was all like won a lot of awards. Is um, it a serious thing? Yeah, yes, yeah, by the Safety Brothers. Uh, he's done some serious work like Punch Drunk Love by Paul Thomas mm-hmm. Anderson, but it's just, you know, you, you don't think, you would never think of like, you know, and Again, I'm just using that person as an example, but there was no, you know, to to open up a song that way. And for, for a lot of people, that was their first introduction to Weezer, was not only the opening line of what's with these homies dissing my girls, but introduced so on a rerun of Happy Days or a <laughs> pretend rerun of Happy Days, where it was just like, this band is, you know, just having fun and, you know, just being silly and there's potsy and it's just like, you know, it, the climate of that time, you know, to grow up in that time, you know, where MTV was still important and you're seeing like the song Jeremy, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, these songs that like, this has to be taken seriously and like, you know, to just kind of come out there and really just break the ice in a just totally different way. Um, but that's, that's why I, I made the, the point about bands like Hootie and the Blowfish, for example, because what followed the Blue Album, mm-hmm. the next like year or two of music, was very much more going in that direction. Of just I think they, well, I think carefree and you, you know, know the industry had to because obviously you well know, after what happened with Nirvana, yeah, right. So there was a, there was a void to fill, and you had between what was happening in England with Britpop and Oasis, and that was kind of on its way. Then you had kind of a lot of like you know Green Day obviously was scooped up. And, you know, give credit where credit's due. Dookie is, an, uh, you know, an incredible debut album as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that was the same year as the Blue Album. So, you know, we, the listener, were rewarded <laughs> for, for just being, being around at that time and just hearing all this great material. But yeah. I also, also want to say, like, you know, as I was saying earlier, I think on the previous... And I love bands like Nirvana and Prozum, so don't... don't ever think that those are just some of my favorites of the yeah world, for sure so. So, oh yeah I'm just trying to give some, uh, pumpkins just to all... differentiate yes exactly um any any all of any and all 90s music i love like i i will not turn it off even hootie <laughs> <laughs> and christina thing, aguilera <laughs> the thing that like sometimes you you know becomes an issue when you talk about like music of a certain time is that it sounds very dated or very much of the time. Like if you think about what happens like in the late 80s, early 90s, that music has a very specific sound in a lot of genres like pop. Yeah. And you put it on, you're like, oh, that sounds like that. I think a yeah. lot of a lot of that 90s stuff was just 
straight ahead, just plug some guitars in, some good vocals, and it's kind of down the middle. It doesn't sound like crazy outdated if you were to put any of this stuff on now. Yeah. You know? Right. It's not like the Beatles, like She Loves You, where you can totally tell where that is coming from. Or certain songs you can tell like, oh, this is from the 60s or the 70s. You know, obviously like disco, you can, or in the 80s, you hear the synth. The 90s, it did have its sound, but like a lot of it still holds up because it was just like very, like just music, raw music, like what you're saying. Yeah. And it was sort of a reaction to a lot of the stuff that was happening in the 80s, which was, you know, production and technology had, you know, just given artists you know, the ability to create sounds like synthesizers. And and what happened was just inevitably things became overproduced. And the 90s was sort of a reaction to that, you know. And I think that kind of plays into also kind of the, the cynicism. Even like when Nirvana like became popular, like it was like a backlash against like going mainstream. It was like, oh, you sold out, you know. And it's, it, that was kind of the, the vibe at the time was just, you know, kind of, you know, doing it the old fashioned way and, you know, mm-hmm. th- you know, throwing all the synthesizers out and things like that. But then you have a band like Weezer come along and you hear like, you know, Buddy Holly and it has a lot of that playfulness. So, and of course, produced by Rico Kasich, who late 70s, 80s. He was around for all of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that went a long way in just the making of the record as well. Just the experience and, and just the marriage of that coming together. Um, and from a sound standpoint, I know it's been talked about a lot about the crunch of the guitars and all that, but mm-hmm. like really as like, for me personally, as like a 12 year old who had just started playing guitar, didn't know anything about what the lyrics, what he was talking about. No clue. I mean, <laughs> remember, I thought they were from Wisconsin for like a year. Um <laughs> I had never heard like that sound before, like the, that guitar sound. And, you know, if it impacts to this day, how our band plays like power chords, we, sure. we play them the yeah. way Rivers does, you know, if you're playing a power chord that starts on the A string, he would often, you know, include, incorporate the E, incorporate the root in a way that um, I, we're, we're definitely not the guys to be talking music theory, but <laughs> if you're playing a certain power chord and you add that lower kind of piece to it, whatever it is, I'm sure Sam could tell us what it was. Our yeah. friend Sam would correct us right away. Um, it just gives that additional like level of whatever to it that was just so cool. And I'd never heard like just the way that they approached it. I just never really felt like I heard that before. And that's, that's why that album is just overall just so amazing from, from that standpoint too. Yeah. The final thoughts or final lyrics that you want to mention before we wrap it up. I guess just circling back my guess, I mean, the sea is foaming like a bottle of beer. Great opening line. The next line, the wave is coming, but I ain't got no fear. That's, you know, what was going to happen to Rivers Cuomo. He was basically saying, you got your desk job. I'm going to become a rock star. And, you know, I think, I think that's ultimately what happened. And I think the song touches upon that. Great, great song. It's shocking that this would be considered a deep cut on the Blue Album because, it, you know, honestly, like, if this was any other band, this could be a, a hit single, I think, you know? So it's just, yeah. it just shows how great this record is. Um, that this great song is not one of the hits on yeah. the album. Yeah. So. There's no bad song on this album, by the way, like this. Nope. You can't. No, it's a good one. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all just so good. Um, yeah. I don't have anything to add. I think 
it is interesting to me that we've got some quotes from Patrick Wilson talking about it because you know we we obviously spend a lot of time here talking about what the lyrics could mean. And I'm just thinking about our for our own band, like I don't even know like I'd be in a position to speak to words that you wrote in any meaningful way. Not sure if that's the same thing about their process or anything like that. We all sort of just assume, you know, Rivers obviously takes the lead on all these things, but I don't know. It's just interesting yeah. to me, like to to have, you know. I think, you know, and so much of it is open to interpretation. Like, you know, as far as where I'm coming from, Rivers might just say, no, it's just a song about going surfing. You know, I just wanted to write it. So, you know, I, but that's, that's what makes it a good song is that you're able to interpret it and it can speak on different levels to different people, you know? So um, I think that's, that's why we chose it, I think, because, you know, on the surface, it is this kind of light, fun, energetic rock song. And yet, if you do want to go a little bit deeper, you can. Yes. Which is something I love about all Weezer stuff. And I love how upbeat it is. And I just think it's so fun that it's, you know, it, it starts out like a regular song and then you slow down, come to a full stop. It's soft and lovely. And you're like, what's going on? And then they just go, bum, bum, bum. And like, you just jam out again. Yes. And you just like, and then you're jumping and it's awesome. And the outro that leads right into Say It Ain't So, that hard yeah. stop and then oh, yeah. the opening to Say It Ain't So, it is like, Then wow. you're back down wow. to... yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting <laughs> yeah. that they decided to do that there because regardless of the lyrics or the meaning behind the songs, it does go from like super duper fast to like, okay, now we're going to slow you down. Yeah. Like it's like... I wonder how they made that decision, you know, and to be after the sweater song too, which is also like a slower one. They were like, let's mix it up on here, but it doesn't sound weird or it's not off putting at all. Not at all. It's just great. It's like a burst of sunshine right in between those songs, which yeah, three singles. Yeah. I guess you needed it. All right, let's rate it. Okay. So, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go first. So I gave Surf Wax America, a Laser Eyes Rivers, a Lightning Strap, a Scott in a Vest, Pat Jammin on the drums, and a Blazer Brian for a total of 12. Okay. So uh, I gave it uh, Laser Eye Rivers, a Lightning Strap, a Scott in a Vest, uh, a Half a Pat, uh, <laughs> and, and a Blazer Brian for 11. Has that ever happened before? Rachel, have you ever had a half a pat on the show before? I have never had a half of a pat. (laughs) (laughs) I've had people not choose anything and do a negative, like a made-up negative one, which I forget. I know it was, I know it was My Name is Weezer, but I don't remember because we did Love is the Answer, but I don't remember what she, what Jen gave it. Like she was like, I'm going to take away a laser brian <laughs> or something but no we've never had half of a pat so there first first Excellent. time Podcast on history. <laughs> Woo, crazy <laughs> so i gave it a laser eyes rivers as well a lightning strap a scott in a vest uh i actually went with a blue album rivers head i think there's a element of sexiness to it Stemming from the live performance, just especially the end of the song, I feel like I've seen live versions of Rivers really just kind of lets go and the music takes over him and he kind of just unwinds a bit. So I'm going to 
go with the Blue Dot Riverside there and a Blazer Brian for a score of 11. Very nice. So we are Weezer and Men and Whales give Surfwax America an 11 and a half. Very nice. All right. right. I want to know what you mean. Like when he lets go, what is he doing? Is he like jamming it out because it's the it's the end and he's closing up the set or is he like moving? I think sometimes he doesn't even move. So I'm trying to think of like that's the point what I he's think. doing. Yeah, because like sometimes he just stands there and plays. And I feel like I've seen some shows from the the mid nineties where they're touring this album and yeah, the music just kind of seems to take over him, especially at the end where it's the double time and it's really fast where he just kind of like you can kind of see him just get a having little, fun yeah which you don't always see from him so why i chose that as sexy i'm not totally sure at this point anymore but that's okay uh, <laughs> but there's an element of that in music when Still you know, when the singer or the musician is can, you know consumed by what's happening and sort of lets go uh, it just kind of felt that that was an appropriate rating so i like it yeah no because sometimes letting go makes you kind of feel like relate to them more, I think, because you're like, you can get lost in it too. Like I find like when I'm at a concert and just letting go and listening to music and, you know, a lot of people at concerts, I don't know how often you guys, well, you know this, will just stand there. And I don't understand how you can do that. Like I literally cannot stand still during music. I have to move to it. And I think it's a security thing, but also for me, I'm just going to let go because I'm hoping like no one's looking at me and I'm just going to like enjoy it my way. And when I see other people dancing and feeling comfortable to do that as well and let go, I just feel more comfortable too. So I think when you see somebody on stage being able to let go, you're like, okay, it's fine. Like we're all going to just like be together with this. Yeah, I 100% agree. There's definitely times where I've seen bands. I'm just like, how, like this is so this is so good and so moving. How are you just stood there and I'm like getting you know taken over by what you're doing and you're not even connecting that way? But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I totally agree with you for sure. Like, why would you even be there if you're not open to feeling the music? I don't. I don't see how people do that. I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to talk to those people, like the dudes who are in the back with next to their girlfriend <laughs> while they're dancing and you're yeah. literally standing there with your arms folded and you're like, let me just stand as still as I possibly can and like, don't move. <laughs> like, that's who I want to, I want to know how you do that. And like on the inside, are you dancing? Like, is it like a cool thing? Are you afraid? Like, what is it? I don't know. I need to know. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break and then we will say goodbye to the guys.
Okay, so what is next, guys? We are going to have Perfect Situations 29. I don't know what it will be yet, but I'll let you know when I do. Where can everybody find Men in Wales on social media? Uh, you can catch us on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere or anywhere you listen to music. We are online at meninwales.com. You can check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. So check us out and I hope you like what you hear. Yes. And come back on when you release your new album so we can plug it. That sounds great. We'd love to. You can find We Are Weezer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at We Are Weezer. Check out our website, weareweezer.com. Listen, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to them. Thank you, Brian, for the sound. You are the best. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Tom and Brent, for coming on the show. Oh, and thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. It was a really fun discussion. I I don't know. This might be up there for me with interesting and thoughtful song discussion without having to worry about finding random references. Thank you for updating Setlist FM so I could figure out <laughs> that you existed. Thank you for finding us. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you guys soon. Yeah. Adios. Bye. Bye. We are Weezer, we are Weezer, we are Weezer, and I love you.